Hello and welcome to another episode of our revolutionary podcast. This is Pastor Tito Soto Longo, your podcast pastor, as well as pastor of Tabernacle of God Church here in Tampa, Florida, where my job is to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. Now, today is going to be an interesting day as we are going to talk about something that you, I guarantee you, you are going to feel a kind of way emotionally, almost instantly when I say a few words. In fact, let me just prime you for some of those words that we're going to use. Okay. Words like fairness, equality, and get ready. Okay. Trigger warning, privilege. Listen, we all have different definitions and ways that we respond to those words, especially when they're connected to race relations and injustice in the world. Well, listen, what do we do with all of those things? What does God have to say? Does God have to say anything regarding equality and privilege? Yes, he does. So let's open up his word and let's check out what he has to say. Listen, today we are continuing a series called Grace or Race, depending on uh, how you read the title. If we can put it up on the screen for those of you watching online, if you haven't seen it yet. Title of the series is called Grace or Race, depending on how you see it there. All right, we can bring it back. All racial reconciliation. It's obviously talking about, and we're speaking into right now, everything that we are seeing, like what as a church as a church, as God's people, how are we to live and act and react during these tense times? I mean, and, and out of all days, even I was just, I mean, it was, it was heavy on my heart this morning, even as we were praising God. Being Father's Day, I, I wonder what God's heart, how heavy God's heart is by seeing his kids acting and treating each other the way they are, you know? I don't know if that's even processed you. I know it might sound heavier right now, but this was weighing on me. And let, let me just explain, if this is your first time watching online or if it's your first time here, just my, the thesis statement behind this series that we're doing that we're asking God to do a work in us and through us is this, that we do not, this is my thesis statement, okay, we do not have a race problem. We have a grace problem. Now, I'm going to be sensitive. I'm not saying that the racism doesn't exist. I'm not saying any of that. Ethnic prejudice and nothing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the issue is deeper. It is, we have a grace issue, meaning when the grace of God that we've been singing about, the grace of God that we've been talking about, everything that Jesus has done, when the grace of God hits you, you are not the same. I'm sorry if a Mack truck hits me on my way stepping out, I'm not going to look the same. Y'all feeling me with that one? Okay. If, 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 if a Mack truck hits me, I'm not going to look the same. When the Mack truck of the grace of God and his love hits you, you're not the same. I'm sorry. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be the same. It's okay. But it is when that grace hits you, that gratitude wells up in you for all that he has done. And that gratitude changes your attitude about how you view God, how you view one another. And your attitude impacts your actions. So if we are seeing everything that we are seeing right now, it's because we have a grace issue. Not enough people, not enough of us have been hit by the grace of God that need to. Or, and this one's heavy, especially I'm just talking to church folk. What if you think you understand the grace of God, but it hasn't impacted only, it only impacts the way you believe, and it hasn't yet impacted the way you live. That's a grace issue as well. So today, if we're on our part two, today what we're going to do is, the essence of today is how to have uncomfortable conversations. So if you've been having a good time so far, 
Get ready to feel uncomfortable for the next 20-something minutes, okay? Because let's just be honest, right? And I mean, none of us, let's be honest. This is what's so hard about this. None of us like to have uncomfortable conversations. Okay, wait, I'm, I, I lied. No, okay, I didn't lie. Omission. Yo, some of y'all like to. Let's be honest. Some of y'all like to. Some of y'all just can't wait for the window of opportunity, and you're just like, oh, it's, oh, it's happening. Let's go. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Let's go. I know that's some of you. You just love the moment to just... Get, hop in there, say what you want to say, and just, and just, you know, smile in the aftermath. Like one of those movies, you ever seen in the movies, those people who walk away boldly when the fire's on in the background? That's some of y'all. You just drop that controversial bomb and just walk away and let everything burn in the back, right? That's some of us. We, you love that. I get it. Most of us don't like to have uncomfortable conversations. We tend to, we tend to deny or distract, right? Or just kind of, oh, I don't want to go there because... Uh, it just gets hot. I get heated. And then it's, oh, and I get it. I understand. But the thing is that we have to learn to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Look, right now, some of y'all that have been sitting here, you've been watching online. I'm pretty sure over the last 15, 20 minutes or so, you've been uncomfortable at some position. Okay. Maybe and when, when you're uncomfortable sitting down, standing up, what do you do? You move, right? If you're uncomfortable, you adjust to do what? To be more comfortable. Well, that's the thing. We need to learn to have uncomfortable conversations so that we know how to move in the right way, not so we can be comforted, but so we can bring comfort to others. So it is important to have these conversations. In fact, here's why. Because how can we, how can we begin to imagine or process that we're going to be able to work together to make a difference if we don't even know how to talk to each other? Y'all follow me on that one? We can't work together to make any difference if we don't know how to talk to each other. And let me just say this one thing. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't mind being uncomfortable on the cross. You follow me on that? Jesus did not mind being uncomfortable on the cross. Why? So that we can find comfort. So he's our model. All right. Sometimes, all right, we got to learn to be uncomfortable. So can I give you permission? Are you give me permission to be uncomfortable for a little bit? Because I'm going to say something. I'm going to say a few things that some of y'all ain't going to like probably. Uh, not just some. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to equally offend everybody at some point today. So just heads up. All right, so let's start. Dive right in. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. In, uh, King Solomon drops one of his classic knowledge bombs inspired, revealed by the Holy Spirit. And here is what Proverbs 18.2 says. We can put it on the screen so everybody can see it and read along with us. It says this. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only what's only wants to show off his opinion. Let's read it again. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinion. I guarantee, be a, don't lie, okay, don't lie. I guarantee 10 people have popped up in your head over the last 10 seconds after reading that verse. Right? I know it. I know it. Ten people at least, probably another ten more even just now. They would love to share their opinions and don't like to listen. They, you know whose face I guarantee you didn't pop up in your head? Yours. Can, we, can I be real? Yours. I guarantee you your face didn't pop up. Let's be honest. We've, we all, at times, we will all be that. We will all be that. And, and look at the heaviness of God's words. It says, you are a fool. That is foolish to think that you can say what you want to say, but you are not being considered of what the other person has to say. 
That is foolishness. A fool in this case is somebody who has made up their mind already. A fool is someone who does not want to hear what you have to say. A fool is someone who does not want to be challenged. A fool is someone who lives in an echo chamber. You know what an echo chamber is? Okay. An echo chamber is I only listen to the people that I agree with. I don't interact or read articles or go to different, uh, you know, websites or news that, that oppose my ideology. That is an echo chamber. You are foolish if you do that. You are foolish. You are limiting yourself. That is not how we talk to each other. That is foolishness. And can I even say this too? Do you know that you can be right and still get it wrong? Let's say whatever your opinion is, is capital T truth. Capital T truth. And what you want to say you know is right and what they're saying you know is wrong. But it is still foolish. It is still foolish not to, again, to delight in understanding who? Understanding even the other person. It is foolish to think, look, I need to say this. I know I'm right. I know you're wrong. I don't need to hear your side because I know I'm right. Even if you're right, you can get it wrong. If you act this way, that is foolishness. So what is the better way? Well, let's A, B, compare Proverbs, King Solomon in Proverbs 18. Let's A, B, compare that to James chapter 1, 19 and 20. Let's see what James says. So we're going to put it on the screen. For those of you watching online, you guys can read along with us. If you don't got a Bible, I got you today. All right, we got you. James 1, 19 and 20. Let's read along. Look what, look what James says here. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be, read along with me, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger for human Anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That's so nice. We got to say it twice. Let's go again. Ready? My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. What? Every, some of us, those of you, uh, you know, if you are a fill in the blank. No, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? He gives the why. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Let's just break that down. What is he saying? Obviously, the other two are easy, right? Okay, quick to listen, meaning my priority is to understand you. This is the opposite of Proverbs, right? A fool is someone who is slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger, right? That's what Proverbs was saying. This is written hundreds of years in between each other. God is consistent still. That is a fool. If you are slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger. But we're supposed to be the opposite. Now, obviously, the, the listen and the, the, those are easy, right? Being slow, being quick to listen. I'm sorry. I'm going to screw that up. I'm telling you a bunch of times today. I'm, I'm going to get the slow and the quick messed up. If you are quick to listen, that makes sense. Slow to speak, that makes sense. Slow to anger. What is he saying there? Slow to anger is, is the emotional reactions that we have. All right? It is slow to just, uh, can, am I using a culture word, triggered? Can we even say it that way? It's slow to be triggered, all right, if anything. Because so many of us, we know it. Somebody says this. You see this one hashtag. You see this one name. You see this person. You see this face. You see this idea. This topic comes up, and you are not quick to listen, slow to speak. We're fast to, we're fast to the emotional reaction, right? And then if you're fast in the, in the emotional reaction, you're going to want to speak. You're not going to want to listen. Y'all feel me? That's, that's all of us. That's all of us. We've all done that. We've all been there. And so here's the thing with that. And this is why look at the priority. In how can you keep those emotions in check by being what? Quick to what? Listen, slow to speak. That helps you be slow to anger. What James is not saying, what I am not saying is that you need to dumb down your kind of bottle up your emotions 
for the sake of the other person. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm, James isn't saying that. He's not saying that because if you're passionate about something, there's such a thing called righteous anger. There's, Paul talks about it, says, listen, be angry, but don't sin. So there is a way for you to be righteously upset about something, yet I'm telling you it is possible to disagree with someone without being disrespectful. Can I get something on that one? Okay. All right, show me some love in the chat on that one, all right? Show me some, show me some love in the chat. You can disagree with someone without having to be disrespectful. That's kind of where we're going on here on this one. So the angry emotions, he's not saying don't feel. No, it's okay. But you, you're not run, we're not, you know, controlled by that. And, and, and let's, there's some common sense to that. Let me, let me be honest with me. When was the last time you made a rational decision when you were emotional? Ladies, fellas too, everybody, let's be honest, right? When was the last time you made a rational comment, a rational decision when you were emotional? It's impossible, right? It's impossible, and, but I see it all the time, right? I, it's, uh, it's so frustrating, and I know you are too. It's so frustrating to have a conversation. You are trying to have a rational conversation with an emotional person, it might, as, might as well try to herd 20 cats while you're at it, you know, because that's going to be impossible. No, it's, it's too hard. You can't have a rational conversation with an emotional conversation. You can't be all emotional. Somebody's all being rational. Like, it, it's just, that's complicated. That's complicated. That's why we need to be, what, quick to? Listen, slow to. And that's how we can be slow to anger. And then James even says, why? Why should we be slow to anger? Because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. The righteousness of God is what we all deep down know and we want. We just don't know it. It's right. We want things to be right and correct. But our human emotion, energy, wisdom, effort, that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. So we need to be careful on that. We need to be careful on that because if we don't have this proper, if we are constantly trying to be, and again, when the emotions gets in, that's when we see more division, right? The battle line is drawn, and then everyone picks their sides and just back and forth at each other, slinging rocks, right? That's what happens. It is division if we don't have this kind of conversation. And then at the same time, if we are not quick to, Listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's hard to really think critically at that point. Am I real with you? You're still tracking, right? Are we tracking everybody? It is, you can't be, you can't think critically if you are emotional. Critical thinking is important to be able to rationalize, process. Let me, let me hear what you have to say. And literally, not I'm just hearing for the one thing that I'm going to just like, you know, bust you on. That's not, I, I, you know, we're hearing each other. We're not listening, right? Listening. So different. So different. Because if we don't do that, we create that, you know, it's, it's hard to get that critical thinking. The division all pops up. But it's learning how to make the proper adjustments. Look, I've learned this myself, and I've not been good at this. I've realized that, man, I'm getting frustrated because I'm having a conversation with somebody, and they, I feel like they don't understand. But the problem is, is what if I'm failing to understand how to talk, right? Maybe I'm failing to understand them. And then, hey, if I, if I don't want to understand them, then should I be upset if they don't want to, if they're not understanding me? You see that, how that works, right? And so we got to be super careful about that. So how can I make an adjustment in order to say, okay, let me see. Is this what you were trying to say? Is this, is this how you got to that conclusion? Okay, let me listen. And then we can talk. The, the, 
a great way, a great analogy I've heard of is this. Look, uh, how many right-handed people do we have right here? If you're here, raise your hand. You right-handed, put your right hand up. If you online, say right hand. Okay, just put R-H, whatever, right hand. Uh, hold on, keep it up, keep it up. I want to see everybody here for the most part. All right, good. Almost everybody. All right, my lefties, where, where are you at? All right, left hand, raise your hand. One, two, three, Okay. Four. Oh, wow, five. This is okay. There's a little more. All right, but look, it's the majority right-handed, right? The majority of you are left-handed. Now, I've heard, I heard this. Say, do you know that the world was made for right-handed people? This is a comment some people make. Why, what do I mean the world was made for right-handed people? Well, first off, because the majority of the world is right-handed. So things that are made are made with people by right-handed people. So it tends to be made a certain way that right-handed people know and right-handed people understand. You don't understand unless you're a lefty. Where are my lefties at? Isn't there some things that are just different and difficult, right? And for us, I'm like, what do you mean? It's just a pair of scissors. What do you mean? It's like, it doesn't make sense because you're not left-handed, right? So it's hard to experience. It's hard to experience somebody's because that's not you. And that's common sense. But I remember this. I don't know if, uh, if they still have these desks, but I'm pretty sure most of us remember having a desk where at school where you had an armrest on the right-handed side. Right? Anybody had those? Right? And so if you're right-handed, you Gucci. It's good, right? And you just put your elbow right there and you just kind of sit back and you can write, you know, do what you need to do. Just lean back and you're, you're good. That chair was made for you. But if you, think of a left-handed person sitting in that chair. They don't got that armrest. So when they have to write, they can't just sit back. Right? They have to, they have to turn. They have to make an adjustment in order to write. Right? Am I right? Am I right? And so they have to make an adjustment in order to write. That's something that right-handed people don't have to do. And so that's, and that's true of anything. In any culture in the world, the minority always have to adjust to the majority. That's just common sense. Common sense. But what does that mean for the majority? Well, it doesn't mean that we should be dismissive. It means, well, what does it mean? I, I don't understand. I'm a right-handed person. I don't know what it's like to feel a struggle, to have left-handed struggles. But here's something that I know I've done. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've sat in a left-handed person's chair. Have you ever had to do that, being the opposite? I've sat in a left-handed person's chair. When I go to write, <coughs> it's not there. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And I got to turn. And I got I to gotta make adjustments in order to. And that, that hit me when I was thinking about this and having uncomfortable conversations because it's hard to understand someone if, you don't, if you're not willing to be the one to make an adjustment. Do you see that? To kind of, kind of try and put yourself in their shoes in that moment. I don't know what it's like to be a left-handed person, but I can make that adjustment. To, oh, okay, I, I think I, I understand this, and that will help me understand you a little bit better. Maybe you're, I won't understand fully, but I can, I'm making that adjustment. So when we are quick to... Listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It is you making the opposite adjustment to whatever you are, left to right, right to left. You see that? To see, let me understand you. That's an adjustment. Now, let me, can I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's model this conversation. So here's now where we're gonna get uncomfortable. So here we go. So we've been the whole time just up. Now we're gonna hit the roller coaster ride for the rest of the day. Here we go. All right. Let me model this. I was really praying about this. And I'm like, okay, I want to model this verse, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's model it right now, okay? And let me model it by the way that I've struggled to do those things, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
Um, there's, all right, let's, let's pick one topic. All right, if we're going to go somewhere, let's just hit it, right? All right, privilege. That's a big one right now that everyone's talking about. Privilege, white privilege, all that other stuff, right? You uncomfortable yet? There you go. All right, so don't, Facebook, stay on there, YouTube, don't go. Okay, hang in there. Here we go. Y'all can't leave. I'm just kidding. So y'all can leave too, but don't, don't. Listen, it's uncomfortable when we say things like this because already battle lines are drawn. You're like, boom, boom, and you pick your spots. But let's, just, let's all start with the commonality, all right? So here we go. Let's understand this. I think we all can agree on this one definition of privilege. Privilege is, the privilege is a special right, an advantage, a benefit, an immunity that is given to either a person or a group of people. Are we good with that definition? It's just a benefit, a right, uh, uh, an advantage that has been given to one person or a group of people. Insta, in compared to another person. But, and here's the reality of it, that privilege exists in many different ways, right? There's such a thing called relational privilege. We talked about this last week. If you're in group, you tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. Those in your out group, you don't. That's relational privilege. There are some people in this room watching me online. You can go to my house and you are free to open the, the front door, walk straight in through my living room, into the kitchen, open the fridge, grab something to eat, and I'm not gonna call the cops for someone for who's trespassing passing, breaking, and entering, and stealing. That's relational privilege. Some of y'all have it. Don't try me on that, all right? I'm just saying some of y'all have it. If you know, you do. If you don't, you don't. Don't, don't. That's relational privilege. There is such a thing called a two-parent family privilege, where if you are, if your kids have a mother and a father, whether they are the biologicals or the adopted or blended family, but you got a mother and a father in the house, that child statistically is at a greater advantage emotionally, economically, grade-wise, for in so many different categories compared to people who are not. So then there are those who say the, the nuclear family, two-parent family privilege is not fair because my child is at a disadvantage because I don't have that. And there are people who are advocating for the removal and the dismantling of the two-parent family system because it creates an unfair playing field. That's real. All right? There's economic privilege. We know that, right? If you have more money, you have, then you got more opportunities. This and that. Listen, there's a, such a thing. Some of y'all aren't going to like this one. Such a thing called an American privilege. An American privilege. People around the world, all right, would consider if you are born here or you, are, you live here, naturalized citizen, you have benefits, advantages that they don't have in other places. That, they call that an American privilege to live here. With all of our issues, with all of our pimples and scars and all of those things. Okay, America's not perfect. But it says a lot when a lot of non-whites want to come here every single year from places all around the world. Despite that, that says a lot about this country, and it says a lot about maybe, maybe some of the places that they're leaving. That's just true, like it or not. There's genetic privileges. Some of y'all just were born prettier than others. Can I be real? All right, can I get something on that? There's some of you that you don't have to try to get a date. It, you just, you beating them back. Some of y'all look like you were beaten with an ugly stick. That's different. This is real, okay? This is real. That's real. Let's be honest. Some of y'all, some of us, we, we got to work a little harder. Some people, they don't have to work out. They got a perfectly chiseled body. Some of us, you sniff a brownie, gain two pounds. It's, it's ridiculous. Genetic privileges. Genetic privileges. But the reality is this, and this is real, though, and this is true. You can actually impact privilege by decisions, you can impact your privilege, whether the more or less, by decisions that you make. That's true. You can impact privilege by your decisions. You can, by the decisions that you make, you can have more or less. And it can, and this is the indirect, by decisions that you make, it can impact the privilege, the increase or the lack of, 
privilege for other people. And that's where white privilege comes in. That's when people say, see, exactly, Pastor, that's what I'm saying. That people in the past have made decisions that are impacting people still today. Where the founding, like, you know, some would even go as far as say, look, them, them founding fathers are so messed up that they put this country on racist cruise control. And it's been working for the whites ever since and only them. And that's what they say. And then white privilege is that. That you white people are benefiting from decisions that other people have made. And those who are non-whites are benefiting, are not benefiting, excuse me, from the decisions that other people have made. They are less privileged because of those decisions. Okay, now here's the quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I've struggled with that definition because of my experience. I've struggled, and and I've been quick to anger, quick to speak because of my opinion on that. And my opinion is because of my experience, which makes it hard for me to understand someone who's had a different experience. You've been listening to me for like 20 minutes now. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm not white. Are we good? I'm not white. I was like, ooh, I was was wondering for a minute. No, I'm not white, okay? I'm not. And here's the thing where I've struggled with those who have and who say this because I'm not quick to listen because of my experience. And so I I was trying to be honest. I'm like, okay, I played that TikTok game. Put your finger down. I've done it. Put your finger down if you've ever been followed in a store because of the color of your skin. Put your finger down if you've ever been racially profiled by the police. Put your finger down if you've ever been pulled over because of the color of your skin. Now, I got pulled over three times because I was speeding and one more time for crossing a double line. I messed up. White guys every single time, but okay, they, they, were, they were good. Same, that, the same white guy pulled me over three times over a span of two years on the veterans. It's ridiculous. I, 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 but anyway, it was, it was me. I was, I was speeding. Sorry, sir. All right. I've never, I've never had anyone to my face tell me, like, use racial slurs. I have, n- I'm being real, I'm being real. I've never had anyone use my, never, never has someone told me, go back to your country, never to me. Never has someone used mocking language about my race. And, and I was close, I put my finger down, but then I popped it back up because someone did say, as a Cuban American, someone did say, hey, uh, when I was a kid, you know the, the Cuban national anthem? I was like, no, what is it, right? I was like, you know it's coming. It's row, row, row your boat. Hilarious, hilarious. Here's the thing. I didn't count that one because a Hispanic told me that one. So I don't know if that counts. Okay. Another Hispanic told me that. So I don't know. So I've never, I've never been, I'm I'm being real. I've never worried about not making it home, leaving the house. I've never worried about that. Now living 37 years in this country, some would say, some, you lucky. Oh, she, you lucky. And I, like, like if right now, and some of you, I know, and I was like, oh, he going to get it now. Like, like, if, like if I just tripped the, tripped the radar or something on the whites, and then I'm like, uh, we got a caramel-colored Cuban over here in Tampa that has fallen through under the radar, and he has 37 years of overdue oppression coming his way, so make it happen. You know? It ain't going to be like that. And I've struggled with those who that, I know that they've put their finger down on all of them. And because that's like me being a right-handed person in a left-handed person's world or vice versa. It's like, I don't know what that's like. So I've been, I got to say, I have not been quick to listen. And I'm trying to, to say, okay, if that's not my experience, it doesn't mean that I can't understand. Quick to, because I know that, listen, this pain that you were feeling and we're seeing, it's real. It's real. There are real people out there that are not doing well emotionally and mentally. And so I'm trying to say, okay, that's not my experience, so but it is yours. How can I make my adjustment? And the only way we can make that adjustment is if we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to emotionally 
engage. But then I found something that I was able, again, we're modeling this verse. I found something as a right-handed person to adjust into a left-handed person's world. And, and it clicked over the last couple of weeks. And it was processing my family's history. The intergenerational trauma that has hit my family as a family of immigrants who I've had parents who went from, you know, came from Cuba. And the reason why they left was because of the oppression and the things that they were experiencing there and all the crazy stuff that they lived in. We weren't a part of the, the elite Cubans that left, the financial ones that left before. Okay, we were one that my family stayed in there 10 years deep. And so they got to see things. They, they had this farmland taken from them. They had the degrees. My grandfather was scooped up, taken to a, a plantation in, in essence, and he was working as a, a slave a concent- in a concentration camp. Not because of the color of his skin. Dude was whiter than me. But because of his heart, because of his opinion, he wanted something different. And that was traumatic. And then my parents, who were children, my mom's generation and my dad's generation, who were children during this time, they had to leave one country to another, not knowing the language, not having, you know, very little money, and then experiencing racism from all across the boards. You know, I mean, Hispanics, blacks, everybody was on them. Everybody was. They they, they couldn't be anybody's friend. And so here they are, and they're going through that. And that's traumatic for a child to experience at such a young age. And then here I am. I've lived here my whole life yet I feel a little bit like almost it's happened to me even though it hasn't and so when with anything whiffs or smells of Marxism or socialism or progressivism the the hairs on the back of my neck for you know come up like a cat just uh-uh back up and then why I haven't felt that I but it was that that was kind of passed down and that was me saying oh if I'm feeling that I think I understand why you, so many people who feel the injustice and all the things that they're feeling, I could say, okay, I, I, I don't know that experience, but I have this experience that helps me to understand if I feel like this, then I can think I can begin to see how you feel. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And you can't do that unless you're quick to what? Listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. And if we do that, we will realize that the same people that we're just shouting at, the same people that we're saying, no, man, black lives matter, blue lives matter, back to blue, forget you, whatever, right, all that. When we realize that deep down inside, we're all saying and wanting the same thing if we were just quick to listen. And we realize, look, I don't know what that's like. White privilege, you don't know what it's like to be a non-white. Duh, because they're white. And there's no way that they can know what it's like to not be white. Same thing for whatever race you are. There's no way that you can know what someone else is. That's just the truth of it. But it doesn't mean that we haven't gone through things in this world where we can find common ground. And we say, look, yeah, I haven't gone through that, but I've gone through this. And if you understand this and you understand me, then now I I can understand you. You see that? That's being the benefits of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We can see, it's like, wow, in reality, we're all saying the same thing. I'm just saying I matter because I don't feel you think I matter. And I'm saying I matter because I don't feel you think I matter. But if we talk long enough, yeah, we do. We're assuming that we, you don't matter to me, I don't matter to you, and then we all do. If we just take the minute to listen to each other, because when you find common ground, now we can make up ground. You see that? When you find common ground, now we can make up ground in order to now let's get something done because we can't work together if we don't know how to talk to each other. So here's the application for all of you. Here's the application for me. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on right now because I'm not, I'm not virtual signaling anybody. So here you go. 
two things. I want you to practice this for the next, two, next seven days. Check your, not your privilege, because you all have it. You all have different levels of it. Check your pride. Check your pride. Leverage your privilege. Check your pride. Leverage your privilege. Do you know Jesus did that? One time in Matthew chapter 26, this is, he's at dinner and, he, and he's there and, and everybody's ignored at Jesus. This is right a few days leading up to the crucifixion and a woman comes in crying her eyes out, a prostitute, a marginalized woman. She comes in and breaks this alabaster jar, pours it on the feet of Jesus and she's, he's, she is worshiping him, thanking him for all that he had done for her. And this was a scandalous thing for someone like her to be in that group, in that environment. And immediately the elites there, immediately the majority there who had ostracized people like her and mistreated people like her, probably abused people like her, they started to say virtual signal and was like, oh, what a waste of money. First off, they criticized Jesus. If Jesus was really a prophet, he would know. And what a waste of money. You know how much poor people we could have served, how many underprivileged people we could have impacted with that amount of money. Jesus, Jesus then looks up as this woman is crying her eyes out, washing his feet with her tears and her hair. Jesus looks up to the crowd and says, listen, first off, you ignored me this whole time at the party. So hush your face because she's not. Number two, you don't understand what she's doing because she is preparing me for my burial with what she's doing. But second, he says this amazing statement. You will always have the poor with you. Listen, this is why I said last Sunday, we are, we, I'm sorry for those of you that feel like you're gonna end racism in your lifetime. I feel bad for you because it's not gonna happen. And I don't have to be prophetic about it. It's not gonna happen. We are not gonna end racism in this lifetime. Jesus alone will end it when he returns. He alone will end it in the next, in heaven. That's what Revelations is for. You and I, we can't do it. So just let's just put this into perspective. We will always, Jesus himself said, you will always have the underprivileged. You will always have underprivileged people. Now, does he stop there and say, listen, so don't bother. If it, it don't matter how hard you work. You know, people are going to be people, right? It is what it is. That's it. And no, no, it doesn't. He's not saying the statement like, look, just don't even try because there's always going to be poor people. No, because his actions say something different. He says this, you will always have the poor, but, but me right now, this moment is a single moment. You are not going to have this moment again. Because I'm going to be gone. And he's, so the thing is this, is that we got the process. For those of us, do you know that we can make justice an idol? We, are you still quick to listen? All right, here we go. Slow to anger. Okay. Do you know that we can make justice an idol? That's what Jesus was saying. He was like, look, you want to serve the poor, but me, and then I'm second. We cannot make justice an idol. We cannot make righteousness an idol. Because if we do that, if we make justice an idol and pursue justice without Jesus, we will commit injustices still. We will commit injustices. The oppressed will become the oppressors. That's history. That's what happens. When you try to pursue justice without Jesus, you become the oppressor. You just take, you just switch spots. And if you pursue righteousness without Jesus, you become self-righteous. And now you think you're better, more woke than everybody else. When you are more asleep in your sin than you realize. That's the truth of it. That's what I'm telling you. Jesus was telling those people, y'all need to check your pride. Y'all need to check your pride because... 
you can't try to, how can we prioritize saving the world over the person who has saved the world? How can we prioritize society over our savior? Did you see what I'm saying? Like this is, he is the one, he is the only way we can get this right. It's that priority. That's why we need to check your pride. We all need to check our pride. If you are slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger, that is pride. Check your pride. That's the only way you can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But then here's what Jesus did. Leverage your privilege. Jesus in that moment stood up and defended that woman. No one else was going to do it. Not his apostles, not everybody. Jesus stood up, defended that act, the woman's act, and she, he went to bat for her. Jesus leveraged his privilege for that underprivileged woman. So even though the poor will always be with us, even though there's going to be underprivileged people all the time, it doesn't mean you are not called to leverage your privilege for the underprivileged. That is what it means when Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful. Did you leverage whatever privilege you had for the underprivileged during the life that you had? And we do it not in order to be saved. We do it because God has saved us. And we want to see God duplicate in us what he is doing in other people. We need Jesus. Listen, guys, we have a broken system. Everybody does. Do you know why we have broken systems? Because broken systems are made up of broken people. Broken people produce broken systems who produce more broken people, who produce broke, make up broken systems, who produce more broken people. That's the reality of it. And we will always have symptoms of injustice in our, we will always have symptoms of injustice in our systems because of the sin in our soul. That's why we need to check our pride. Leverage our privilege. And again, why? Because Jesus did it. Let me put one last verse to wrap up. Second Corinthians 8, 9. Look at this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, Paul is declaring. And what did the grace of our Lord Jesus do? When he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus leveraged his privilege for us, the underprivileged. Jesus leveraged his privilege for us and lives have been changing ever since. And if Jesus was willing and, and if, if love led him to leverage his privilege for us, then love ought to, ought to lead us to leverage whatever privilege you have for all of those. And can I tell you the one group, the one group that is the most privileged group in the world, the most privileged group in the world is someone no one's talking about no one's seeing, no one realizes it because we're so busy worrying about what color has more privilege than the other. Can I tell you, there is a multi-class, multi-economic, multi-colored, multi-ethnic group that is the most privileged in the world. And John declared who they were. The Gospel of John says that those who believe in Jesus, that God has given them the right and the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God. The church is the most privileged group in the world because only, only the body of believers, only those who have called on the name of Jesus that have, been re, that have been reborn and that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you got advantages, immunities, benefits. There's no condemnation in Christ. You are free from, you are free from sin. You are able, you got the God residing in you that greater is now this God than anything out in the world. You have access to the throne of grace and mercy that an unbeliever does not have. You have a relationship 
with God that you cannot find any other way. You are the most privileged group in the world. And every time in history the church leverages its privilege, lives change. Every time. Because when Jesus leveraged his privilege, the world has never been the same again. And Jesus wants to lead us to do the same. So I ask you one more time. Everybody, check your pride. Check your pride. There's so many of us online, man, I'm seeing it. Complaining about the the darkness in the world while also reflecting darkness in the way we talk to each other. Complaining about the darkness, modeling that darkness at the same time. Check your pride. Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, that is equal to murder. That's equal to murder. That's injustice. And God sees that as injustice. Hating someone for whatever, that is murder to God's eyes. That is injustice. Check your pride. You need God more than you realize. And let me tell you, here's all of us. You and I, we've all been slow to listen to God's voice. We've all been quick to listen and quick quick to speak our opinion towards God. And we've all been quick to emotionally disagree with God at some point in our life. What James was talking about really about being quick to listen is not really with each other. It's with God. Because you can't be quick to listen to people if you're not quick to listen to God. It's the word of truth. In fact, that's what James talks about here in the rest of 19 when he says the listen, be quick to listen, slow to speak. He talks about so that ridding yourself of all moral filth, that the evil that is so prevalent, humble yourselves, receiving the implanted word of God, listening to that word of God, which is able to save your soul. So don't just, and when you hear that word, don't just be a hearer, you be a doer. Leverage your privilege. If you check your pride and humble yourself and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you now have the privilege to be called not an, and you go from an enemy of God to a son and daughter of the living God. That is grace that we get, but it's grace that leads us to give. That is now a privilege that you have that you ought to, and we should want to leverage this privilege for the underprivileged out in the world. And every time the church leverages a privilege, lives change. So my prayer today, and I pray that it's your prayer for all of us watching online and here today, is that by the loving grace of God, he may set free as many people from every ethnicity, from the systematic oppression that is sin and death. May he do that as he, by his grace, We check our pride, humble ourselves before our God, and leverage the privilege of being a son and daughter of God for the glory of our Lord and for the good of others. That's what, that is how we're called to live right now. So just a recap, ready? Yo, check your pride and leverage your privilege. Listen, you and I have both of those, okay? We all have, and we all struggle with pride, and we all have a level of privilege that when you leverage it, okay, you make a difference. You can't. There is no voice too small, no individual that the Lord cannot do something amazing through. That's it. And so I want to challenge you guys. 
Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you have. And when you have God, I hope, church, that hits you today, that you are the most privileged group in this world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a son and daughter of God, you are the most privileged individual in this world. How dare we keep that privilege a secret and hoard it for ourselves? No, we are called to leverage that privilege for the glory of God and for the good of others. That's what it means to be a revolutionary. So do those two things. Check your pride and leverage your privilege this week, all right? And ask and pray, Lord, lead me to love someone today. Do that. Be that kind of a revolutionary. And I will see you back here next week when we wrap up this series with the idea of justice.